We have been uh, working our way through a series of soul care questions that John Wesley used to ask people that he'd meet with on a, on a regular basis. And we introduce it one week and then come back to it the next week. So the question for this week was, do I give time for the Bible to speak to me every day? Uh, not, it, ironically, as I was uh, entering this particular question into, into our system in order to you know, deal with it over the last two weeks, there was an article that, that popped up in my newsfeed about a woman named, I guess it's Chrissy Teigen. You can tell I'm getting really old when I don't even know these, these stars' names, but she's married to John Legend. And John Legend was the, the fellow who just played Jesus in Jesus Christ Superstar on Easter. And so uh, she apparently tweeted one day about her experience there while she was watching John. She said, John said there would be leopards today, but it's lepers. Oh, uh, huh. Am I, not, am I not good with the Bible? Um, yeah, lepers, leopards, kind of two different things, not, not quite exactly the same. Now, now, before you think that I'm going to just sit here all this morning uh, bashing this Hollywood star, uh, I think we've got a little work of our own to do. The article went on to, to basically review a survey that's been done by an organization run by a man named John Stone Street, who does a lot on, on Christian worldview and just helping students in particular to get a grasp on what they truly believe. And, and I thought it'd be kind of funny this morning, seeing we have a student expert, that I would just have him up here. And I'm going to put a, a series of questions on the screen. I'm going to step off into the darkness here and let him be in the spotlight all by himself. And, uh, and go ahead and bring that list of questions up, please, Elam. What percentage of American households own a Bible? Is this how many are saying they own a Bible? Yeah, well, according to the survey, so uh, Zuckerberg hasn't 70%. told us yet how many he's seen in houses. But anyway, what's that? 70%. 87. So huh. a lot of Bibles and probably a lot more than just one. Percent of Christians that say they read it every day. Uh, again, say they read it? Say they read it. Uh, let's go 50. 19%. <laughs> A lot of honesty out there. I'm glad. Percentage uh, report thinking, uh, the percentage that report thinking about biblical truths every day. Uh, well, it's got to be less than 19, so 12. Actually, it's 20, so I don't know how that all works out. But anyway, uh, <laughs> percentage of Christians who consider their faith important attend church regularly and actually have a biblical worldview. In other words, think the way the Bible thinks. Uh, 50. They're going with 17%. I'm not sure how they got that, but that's pretty low. Percentage of church-going Christians that held uh, views rooted in new spirituality, according to their survey. So in other words, kind of just what's going on out there, Oprahism. 20... 61%. <laughs> uh, percentage that resonate with postmodern views. Oh, man, I, I, I'm so confused. Uh, <laughs> 33. 54%. Percentage that accept ideas grounded in some form of Marxism. Knowingly? Knowingly. Uh, hopefully it's like 5%? 36%. Percent that hold secularist views. Oh, wow. Um, oh, 75. 29. I don't understand that either. Um, percentage of Christians that believe Satan exists. 60. 
Oh, wow. 58%. Yes! <laughs> no, it's actually not good. It should be 100. <laughs> I mean, we got some work to do. Okay. Percentage that believe Jesus lived a sinless life. Uh, you can tell by the gasps it's lower than 95. Yeah, which is why, like, again, I'm getting a clue there. Let's say, I, I'm going to go at least a third, 33%. Well, 52%, which okay. is still utterly pitiful. Percentage that believe absolute moral truth exists and is founded in Scripture. 60. 47%. Most Christians surveyed also said it was possible to earn your way to heaven. Uh, I know where I want to go, and I know where I think I have to go. I'm going to say 85%. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. It wasn't. A, I just. I just. Oh, it's just oh, a statement. That's just another <laughs> I'm question. I'm sorry. You got to let me know when it's over. I'm man. sorry. I'm sorry. So I, I'm. We I'm just intrigued. filled, but I am I'll not. You, I'll bet you that I'm close. <laughs> we'll give you that. That one. was. There you go. What's the bottom line of this? You know, surveys are always interesting. I mean, you know, you can make a survey say anything you want, right? But in the conversations that I have. I don't know that this is precise, but I know that there's some degree of accuracy that, for the most part, we as a group of Christians find ourselves more and more embracing the world's view of the world than God's view of the world, more and more uh, the TV's view of the world than Scripture's view of the world. And so while we may want to be quick to bash Chrissy for not knowing the difference between lepers and leopards, it's probably a lot more important that we believe Satan exists than that we know whether or not a leper is a leopard or a leopard is a leper. So um, allow this to be a point for our own personal conviction to, to actually sit now in a moment of silence and ask, hey, it's one thing to be reading the Bible, and we need to be reading the Bible, but am I actually believing what's written here? And am I letting it sink into my life and into my heart? Is it forming me? Is it changing me? Am I becoming more like Jesus because of the words that are soaking into my being. So, thank you. You did a wonderful job. I don't know how we're going to do this in a second, because now I we don't know remember any of those numbers. I was trying to okay, memorize it. Yeah. Uh, don't. All right. Let's be quiet for a moment, and then we'll go to one of four stations around the room for communion. In the first service, Brian did this and um, failed miserably. So, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see how Shelly does. So, you got to step right into the spotlight. I'm going to go off into the dark like Regis Philbin here. And... Um, What's the percentage of American households that say they own a Bible? Mm. I'm going to think too much about all of these. Okay, you know just that, right? give me a number. Okay, that say that they own one, 70%. Yeah. 87%, so you're, you're in, on the right side of 50 Christians <laughs> that say they read the Bible every day? Uh, 15%. Well, you're closer than Brian was, uh, 19%, 19%. So. By the way, you really And, and I, think that's, I think that's probably, it's honest. Um, those who say they think about biblical truths every day. So this doesn't necessarily mean they're thinking about their Bible reading, but they think about biblical truths. Um, 35? Yeah, 20%. One more than the 19s, okay? okay. How about those... Christians who consider their faith important and attend church regularly who actually have a world, biblical worldview. They determined what a biblical worldview was and they said, these are the percentage that came through with that biblical worldview. What's the number? 40. 17. 
17%. Hot? Yeah, I know. I know. So then you have the number of, this is according to their survey, again, number of church-going Christians who are rooted in what they would call new spirituality. So in other words, the spirituality of our time, the things that are labeled little, little less spiritual, that are not necessarily biblical. What do you think the percentage is? Don't totally get the question. So 10%. 10%. Well, no, it was more like 61%. Okay. Uh, those who resonate with postmodern thinking. Mm, 30. 54%. Those really who, who, their beliefs are grounded in some form of Marxism. And let me just say, because you're not a history professor, Marxism is bad. Okay? okay, those who have uh, beliefs rooted in some form of Marxism. Of bad stuff. Uh, 25. 36%. Those who have secularist views, or in other words, not biblical, they view the world the way the world views the world. They're Christians and view the world? Christians who views the world that way. Um, like on one topic or many Everything. topics? Everything. Everything. All, all of life. All of all life. All of life. Yeah. Ah, 50. Let's just go half. Yeah, 29, 29%. Okay. Okay, this, this one might be easier. Christians who believe that Satan exists. Everyone should believe that. <laughs> Everyone should believe that. But it's less than 100%. What do you think? Wait, believe that he does or does that not? He's, that he's for real. That he is That he's for out real. there. 95.6. Yeah, try 58%. What? Yeah, I know. I know. Got some work then to what's do. What's the point? Uh, <laughs> here. <laughs> Step right over here and do my job. Thank you very oh, much. Yes. Okay, no, come back into the light. Um, well, you're going to love this one. Christians who believe Jesus lived a sinless life did live a sinless life. Um, well, now I'm going to go a little ridiculous. Let's say 53. 52%. Yeah. Thank no, you. it's not. Yeah, it's bad. It's horrible. Sorry, sorry, horrible. It's bad. It's 100%. That should Again, be 100%. Yes. yes. <laughs> Percentage who believe that absolute moral truth exists and is found in Scripture. Man, that's deep. Um, absolute moral truth. Um, 35. 47%. Okay. Most Christians surveyed also said it was possible to earn your way to heaven. Earn your way? Yeah. Christians? Yeah. Hmm. Um, it's a statement. You don't need a number. No. <laughs> it's okay. Here's the funny part. Your brother did I the exact same today. thing. I exact should be same, off. Exact same thing. You see, I, I think what this, what this says to us is that we can look at a tweet and we can giggle. That someone didn't know the difference between a leper and a leopard. I think it's far more important that we believe Satan is real. Jesus is sinless. I want to view the world the way God views the world and not the way the world says the world is supposed to be viewed. So, take the time in the next minute of silence, again, to just reflect on your relationship with the Word of God. Do you believe this is the actual word of God given to you so that you can get to know God, so you can have a perspective that matches God's? And then after the silence is done, we'll go to one of four stations around the room and receive communion and listen to a song that speaks biblical truth. And, and you're always free. If you want to sing along, feel free. And ever me 
Again, uh, we're so glad you're here with us this morning. Our uh, servers are going to come receive the morning offering as we go through our morning announcements. Again, as we normally do, we're going to be going through the links. And if you haven't received the links, you can go to southfieldchurch.com, scroll all the way to the bottom, hit that plus sign, and, and uh, get signed up for that. Or you can head out to the welcome desk, and we'll get you set up that way. A few things for you this morning. Uh, this week, we are going to be trying to do an INM canal cleanup, and we're looking for what works best, what time works best for you. So that first link, you have the opportunity to um, go on and choose whether you want it to be Saturday morning, afternoon, or evening. And we're going to go with whoever, or we're going to go with the time slot that works for uh, the most of us, so we can get out there and uh, clean up our part of the canal. Again, spend time together uh, making God's creation look beautiful again. Uh, speaking of cleanup and being outside, I know that it's freezing cold, so we're not thinking about things growing, although Friday was really nice, so uh, I think trees and plants are really confused, but the weeds are coming, and we have a, a chance for you to adopt an island again this summer, so if you want, uh, you can go on there and sign up for an island, and basically what we're looking for there is that uh, you just take responsibility of an island in the parking lot or a small section of the landscaping around the building. Now, what that doesn't mean is that uh, you're planting things. You're not going around, like, putting your own artistic expression in the area. No, we're, we're looking for uh, just, just some people who uh, would be willing to help us out, take care of the weeds, make sure everything's looking nice, you know, uh, especially as, like, the um, spring rains come and the mulch starts to get washed out, making sure that everything uh, in your area looks nice. So if you'd like to do that, if you're an outdoorsy person who likes to get their hands dirty, uh, we'd love for you to get involved there. We uh, have not received many questions for our June series, so uh, another chance for you to go online and let us know what your, what your questions are, because our June teaching series is going to be totally based off the questions that you have, whether that's about the Bible, whether that's about Southfield, about your faith, uh, about relationships in God and with God, whatever they are, we, need, uh, we want to know them, because we're going to answer as many as we can during this June teaching series, so go ahead and uh, take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, we have baptism and journey groups and all these things uh, that you can get signed up for. And finally, uh, we have a couple weeks left to get signed up for Green Lake. So make sure uh, that you have uh, your registration in and get, your, uh, get the paper into the Dropbox and get all set for that because that's coming fast. And I'm really pumped for that. So Cool. Thank you so much. Dana, I stole your pencil last night. I'm sorry. Here. It's back. You wondered where it was. So let me uh, just... Piggyback on that with a couple of uh, really cool things that are going on. As you can see, a, a building is coming along. I'd, I'd like to say we're in the home stretch, but we're probably just prior to the home stretch. The home stretch before the home stretch. It's getting, it's getting very, very close. We're about a month away from being able to inhabit that space. Uh, drywall is finished up and painting is happening. And not too long, there will be fixtures installed in restrooms and all that sort of stuff. So the room is just looking really amazing. Anybody that's had a chance to go in there just kind of go, wow, this is, this is great. This is going to be a great space, a great space for our, for our students and all of us to be able to play. I love to think of Southfield as a sacred place to pray and play. 
a place that we do both because both are truly are truly sacred activities. So um, just continue to pray as that process works along. Hopefully here very soon as the uh, snow melts and the permafrost leaves, we'll be getting a sidewalk out front and a patio in the back. And, um, and uh, the thing that I'm most excited about, to be perfectly honest, I'm, I'm a simple man. Uh, they were working on plumbing this week and supposedly this coming week, the filters are arriving and we're going to have clean non-smelly water. And I mean, I couldn't, I, it's just like the happiest thing in the history of earth. Either, it doesn't get much better than this. This morning, you know, God just had a little fun with me. I went into the restroom and I went to wash my hands and all of a sudden the black just kind of flowed. And I was like, really? You're going to do this today? This is hilarious. So there I am, five minutes before a service, making sure that all the, all the black flushes out of the water. Don't worry, it's not lethal, or so we're told. But anyway, um, <laughs> the black will be gone. And the smell will be gone, and we'll actually want to play in the water, and it'll be wonderful. So uh, it's been a, a hilarious thing. A lot of you, I thank you for those of you that have, have contributed to the Smelly Water Fund. It's been one of the best labeled offerings we've ever had. So if you still would like to participate in the Smelly Water offering, we'd love for you to do that. Uh, it's just great to be able to get that finally behind us. So very, very excited about, about what is happening, and I hope you are too. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful, so grateful, to be able to gather together as a family, whether it is rainy or sunny, warm or cold, whatever is going on on the outside, we know that here inside there is warmth, there is love, and there is an opportunity to grow in you. And we pray today that that would be the case as we look at what your word has to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. So I wanted you to think about a time that you were, uh, you were having a conversation with a close friend. Uh, this, this, it doesn't necessarily have to be your best friend, but someone, someone with whom you share a relationship, and you, and you were engaged in a conversation. It may not have been the deepest conversation you ever shared, but, but, but it wasn't just surface fluff, okay? You weren't just talking weather or sports or something like that. You were really engaged. Eyes were locked in. Bodies were turned toward each other, and you were having a pretty serious conversation. How would you respond if, while you were in the middle of that, somebody were to come up and try to join in on your conversation? I mean, it's clear you're having a conversation, and somebody just kind of, whether they walk up and just kind of stand there, or they literally kind of uh, 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 try to work their elbow their way in, what would happen? Let me ask you this. um, How does it feel when that happens? Because it does happen. In fact, it happens all the time. I know it happens to me. It's probably happened a couple of times this morning. It's a very public space. And in this very public space, sometimes people want to have a one-on-one conversation. And I'll be talking to them, and this is the one time a week people get a chance to talk to me, and so they'll come up, and you know, you're kind of in this awkward spot of, I'm engaged in this conversation, I don't, want, I don't want to make this person feel like I'm not paying attention to them, but here's this person over here coming to talk to me, how do, how do we manage these particular situations? How do you respond? How should you respond? What should you do? What's the right thing to do? You see, in a public setting like this one, it doesn't feel right to say, I'm sorry, not now, we're talking, go away. It feels also like something of a violation to be engaged with this person and say, hey, come on, join in the conversation when this is something that we're talking about that's very personal. It's, It's complicated, right? It's a little tricky. And hopefully we've developed enough social graces to treat everyone involved with dignity, and decency, 
and the respect that they deserve. Well, two friends are walking along the road. They're in a very public space. I mean, the road is a public space. They're not secluded in a conference room behind closed doors. They're in a public space. And while they are in that public space, they're in a very personal space. They're talking about a personal topic. They're going over, once again, the painful experiences of their recent weekend. They're reviewing reviewing the facts. They're trying to just sort out all the details and understand it. And while they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And Jesus himself came near. Jesus himself came near. Public place, but very personal space. And Jesus himself came near. I want you to sit with that for a moment. I want you to think about the dynamic of that. You Sometimes we read through a passage of Scripture so quickly that we miss out on the human dynamic of the situation. In the middle of a very personal conversation being held in a very public setting, a stranger tries to elbow his way into the relationship. How are you doing with that? How does that feel? What's that like? Catch this. I want you to reflect on, on the moment that would have been missed. Had the two done what most of us do when someone tries to muscle their way into our conversation. They could have said, excuse me, friend. I know we're in a public space, but we're having an intensely personal conversation right now. Would you mind leaving us alone? They could have said nothing, but given him that cold shoulder that formality, those, those short sentences that say, we're to, too polite to tell you directly to go away, but we hope you feel the chill, and we hope you clue in. They could have even let him in, but gone back to the surface, gone back to just frivolous topics and, and talked about something else. But for some reason, they did the unusual, and they let the stranger in, and thank God they did. Blinded from his true identity, the two became three, walking and talking along the Emmaus Road. And Jesus himself came near. Now let's recall from last week, there's something about the nature of the conversation they're having itself that seems to prompt the attention of Jesus. There's something about the realness, the rawness of their talking together that caused Jesus to say, this is a conversation worthy of engagement. And of course, it was about more than their words. It was really about the posture of their heart. They had a complete openness an openness to the things of God, and an openness to each other. They they were walking, if we could say it this way, with an open stance. Let me just, a little sidebar here, okay? We talk from time to time uh, of awareness of having an open stance when we're in the gathering space out there. We love the word gathering space. It's, it's so invitational. It's so welcoming. Not, not foyer, but this place that we're, we're gathering together and we're, and we're having community and where relationships are happening. How do you stand? What is your literal, physical stance when you're out there having a conversation? You know our stance can actually serve as an invitation. 
It can be a way of saying, come on in, join me. Let's be friends. Let's, let's go a little deeper on this. We, we leave room for another, for extending an invitation. So, so what I need, this will really be helpful, is three volunteers, right? One, two, three. You guys come here. Yeah, right here. Come on up. What? Church? I was supposed to be able to take a nap. Come on. No, seriously. All right, so Vincent and Jared have been coming to the church. Well, I know Vin, uh, Jared, birth. You too? Yeah, birth, birth. Okay, so... And they are so excited to be on the platform, aren't they? All right. So, so that's been coming just a couple years now, right? Yeah, okay. So not, not as long. These guys have known each other a long time. I suspect you've had a conversation or two. So in a conversation, their tendency might be to talk something like this. Not too close that it feels ew, but... Um, <laughs> Not so far that they feel like they're not friends either. They're, they're here talking. Now, now you come up and, you know, I mean, these guys, they've known each other a long time. They're buddies. They're, they, they've been at this church for, for literally for all of their life. And you come walking in as this new guy and you want to get in on this conversation. You walk up and you see this. Do you feel like walking up and talking to them? It's, it's a little awkward, right? I mean, they're basically saying... It, this is our conversation. Something as simple as, thank you, mannequin. Something as simple as doing this. Literally, as we're talking, not being completely shoulder shoulder facing each other. Something as simple as this says, yeah, we're having a conversation, but there's room for a third. There's room for someone else to step in. They haven't, they're not out there saying, hey, come on over, come be with us, come on in. But something as simple as our stance can be a way of saying, I'm inviting you in. I'm welcoming you in. You guys are great. I'll have a prize for you afterward, okay? Have a seat. Thanks. I, obviously, that's not the, the point of the service, okay? That's not the, that's not, the point isn't, let's all stand a little differently. But our stance matters. Our stance with each other matters. That little bit of openness that says there's room for you. Come on in. And that openness that says there's room for God. Come on in. We have a tendency to stand with a very closed stance with God instead of an openness to him. I just want to encourage you, especially when you're in that gathering space, be aware of people. Really be aware of people. Look around. Look for the person who's standing by themselves. Bring them in. Let's make sure that, I mean, if anybody's going to be offended at our church, let's let them be offended that we were just too darn friendly. That, 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 oh, those, those people liked me too much. Ew, I don't like that. Let's, let's let that be us. The Emmaus Road partners were, were walking. They were walking with an open stance. They left room. They actually made room for Jesus to enter into the conversation. And Jesus himself came near. The quality of the conversation invites Jesus to come near. But let's be reminded of the dynamic. Jesus is still a stranger to him, to them. They have no idea who he is. God has veiled their ability to see his true identity. God kept them from recognizing him. The space that they had opened to let Jesus in actually welcomed the stranger now, Jesus, in what it, most of us would, would find to be a very forward manner, just goes ahead and asks a pretty deep personal question for being a stranger, right? What are you discussing together as you walk along the road? He just, you know, so, what you talking about? I'm willing to join in. The whole story really pivots on this moment. 
I mean, this is, this is a key moment. The reaction is crucial. If they had said, none of your business, discussion over. If they had said, it's too personal, let's change the subject, end of discussion. If they said, oh, we were done, end of discussion. No, they go there. They answer the question. They keep the conversation going. You know, actually, they, they don't immediately answer the question, do they? It's funny. Cleopas asks a question. It's as if he assumes, of course, he'd know what they were talking about. Everyone was talking about it. I mean, think back to some of our universal experiences as human beings. Around 9-11, everybody was talking about it. It was, it was, everybody was. When the Cubs won the World Series, Cub fans were talking about it. When Shanahan got a stoplight, the Shanabillies, we were talking about it, man. It was the talk of the town. Everybody was talking about it. Again, this conversation could have gone so many different ways. Jesus could have assumed the topic. Hey, guys, bet you're talking about that Jesus guy. But he doesn't do that. He asks. He doesn't assume. So let's get their response. What are you discussing together? It says they stood still, their faces downcast. They've been walking along and now, dead stop. They stood still with sad faces. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And what does Jesus say? Question. What things? What things? He could have said, yeah, I know all about it. Or let me tell you what it's like to be in a stone cold tomb for a few days. What things? God is always asking questions. That's so relational, God with us. He's always asking questions, just just looking for our answer. Where are you, Adam? Not, I can see you. Who told you you were naked? Not, I knew you'd mess up. Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? Not, I know you ate it. To Job, brace yourself like a man. I'm going to ask you some questions, and you go ahead and answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And on what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness? When I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place? When I said, this far you may come and no further. Here is where your proud waves halt. It goes on for chapters. Questions, questions, questions. Sometimes God's questions are gentle Sometimes they express genuine curiosity. And sometimes, like with Job, they are challenging. But here's the thing. They're always invitational. They're always an invitational. Let, let, let invitation. Let's talk. Questions. They invite us to share. They're opportunities to expose the realities of our hearts. I wish we were more like Jesus in this. We are so quick to fill in the blanks. We are so quick to finish the sentence We're so quick to to assume the outcome, so quick to be profound, to provide the answer, to clarify the fog of confusion. The stranger comes, and, and he remains an enigma, a mystery. He's puzzling. Not, hey guys, it's me. 
but tell me more about you. Slower to talk, quicker to listen. Sounds like a pretty good verse, doesn't it? Maybe something in James. This opens such a variety of thoughts for us, really. Who is the stranger in my life right now? The person trying to butt into the conversation. When, when have I refused to let him into the conversation? What am I missing out on in those moments of my closed stance? Those moments that I'm not open? What is it Jesus is wanting, me to, wanting to say to me, but I keep shutting him out of the conversation? Further, am I willing to just sit with the question rather than begging the expert God to fill in the blank? Now it is intriguing that they are welcoming Jesus, but his identity is still veiled. He's still a stranger. How this conversation would have been different. I mean, the nature of it would have been completely different if Jesus had revealed his identity from the get-go. I think they would have listened differently if they thought it was Jesus. But they listened instead as if they were listening to someone they did not know. They actually heard this whole experience differently by not knowing Jesus immediately. Along with the use of questions comes the element of mystery. Both the questions and the anonymity of the questioner leave an interesting space for growth. I suspect it's our human nature But it is also human nature enhanced by everything from 27-minute TV shows, conflict resolved, or the ability to, to Google a question any moment we have a question that pushes us away from a willingness to just live in mystery sometimes, to not have to have the answer right now. Some of you may remember uh, Chris Knight. Chris led worship for us for several years at the old building and then for a time at the school. He was a man with, he's a man with a truly uh, sweet soul. When Chris would talk about music, I'd, I'd sit at practices sometimes, and he, he loved to use the word stew. Just let the, let the music stew. He liked when a song would just kind of stew and brew, when it would come together in an unforced manner. And, and he liked letting us sit in the stew of it all, just, just waiting, for a play, waiting in a place of the, of the unresolved. So much of our growth in Christ is about an openness, a willingness to sit in the stew. To sit in the place of the unresolved. To receive the question and to leave it unanswered for a moment. To embrace the mystery of anonymity. To be okay with not knowing yet. Just knowing what we know now. But not yet. We'll leave that there. Living in trust rather than answers. Simmering in the stew of it all. How comfortable are we to ask questions rather than be so quick to fill in the blanks? And we're kind of playing both roles right now. Not just as a receiver, but as the person listening to the conversation. How often do we just ask a question rather than having to solve the other person's problem? How willing are we to sit in the mystery rather than seek an immediate solution? How available are we to simmer in the stew? Jesus is comfortable with all three, and so are the two friends on the road to Emmaus. They provide us some key insights on developing relationships and on community that is uniquely Christian. So, 
Jesus asks what things, and they tell him. They say, well, have you heard about Jesus of Nazareth? He was a prophet. He was powerful in words and deeds before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And they go on to describe what happened, that he, was di- that he died, he was buried, but that this is the third day, and today we can't find his body. Some of our women went to the tomb. They talked to an angel. We haven't found him. We don't know where he is. These two do not only talk about the details of the events of their lives, but they also, they also if we could say it this way, they talk interpretation. They talk about impact. They talk about what's happening in, in their own lives. They share the deeper personal impact this had had on them. What were the words? But we had hoped. But we had hoped. It's amazing how quickly they're going deep with this stranger. And they're not just saying, here are the facts of the situation. But, but this was our dream. This is where our heart was. The events were horrible, but the implications were brutal. All they had hoped was dashed and smashed. And it is only now that Jesus begins to speak. After taking time to listen and to get to know them, to let them express their heart, it is only now that Jesus begins to speak. Now the words, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. This isn't Jesus in their mind talking. This is a stranger talking. Have you ever had a stranger call you a fool? Well, that's not particularly comfortable. You may know me, and you have the right to call me a fool. You know me. I'm a fool. But, but you're a stranger. You, you don't even have a chance to form a judgment yet, and you're calling me a fool. I wonder what that did to them inside. <laughs> Who are you? We're followers of Jesus. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was in all the scriptures concerning himself. What does Jesus do here? He does not merely offer sympathy. He helps the two walking with him locate their story in the larger story of redemption. And this is a vital aspect of Christian community. We help each other keep our eyes on the bigger picture. We help each other see and hear that their own story is part of a much larger story. Now, mind you, we don't do this in a trivial way. You know, they didn't say, I know he died, but hey, all things work together for good, right? Throwing a verse on it is not what we're talking about. This is sitting with the person in the conversation, realizing that it's not just the two of you, but Jesus is there too, and it's us jointly keeping our eyes on Christ in the conversation. Okay, one more, one more big thing before we land the plane. So, look at this passage. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. The walk from Jerusalem to Emmaus is uh, seven miles. The disciples and Jesus have been having a meaningful conversation, so I'm assuming they're not speed walking. You know, they're, they're probably taking a little bit more leisurely, thoughtful uh, path. Let's say, let's say it's taking them between 15 and 20 minutes per mile. This is going to be a two to three hour walk. This is taking some time. They've taken some time along the way. It's the end of the day. And Jesus, he leaves the impression that he's, that he's passing on. But they say, no, stay with us. It is evening. The day is almost over. Now, by modern standards, that invitation may seem strange. Hey, total stranger, come spend the night with us. Come on in. 
But it's not unusual for them at all. Remember, when Jesus sent his disciples out in twos, he gave them specific instructions on where to stay, being received into people's homes, how long to stay. In fact, he he summed it all up in Luke chapter 10 with these words, don't hesitate to accept hospitality. A piece of Christian life, doing life together, was this extension of hospitality with each other. Tomorrow morning, I'm heading to Indiana for a couple of days for a reunion of a group of people I met with for a couple of years. We, we, may, we meet at a small retreat center called, called The Springs, about an hour the other side of Indianapolis. There are four small cabins at the top of a hill, and there's a main house down below. Dick and Sybil Towner run the retreat center, and they live in that house. And everything we do, meetings, meals, hangout time, everything Everything happens in their house. They are living, they are living, breathing poster children for true Christian hospitality. I remember sitting there like the second time and going, I would go crazy. I can't imagine the entirety of morning, noon, and night, everybody meeting here in my space. I need, I need that space. I need that alone time. I need that place to get away. They invite us in. They invite us in all the way. I'm not sure why things have changed, but let's face it, they have changed. The days of of having people into our homes on a regular basis, that come on over after church for dinner, for the most part, that's, that's a memory. For the most part, most of us do not see our houses as a place to bring the world in. We see it as a retreat and a refuge from the world. We could dissect all the sociological reasons, and they are numerous. We go home to get away. We go home to retreat. We go home to be alone. We've lost something in all this, but what? I think what we've lost is kind of this, this next level of connection. You see, when you walk into my house, you see, you see the condition of it all, right? You see if I'm a clean freak or if I'm comfortable with clutter. You see the pictures of my wall. You see my family photos. You see my favorite chair. You see the size of my TV and which room I put it in. You see spaces in my house that are important to me. But, but you not only see my space, you see me. You see real me. You see me differently than you do here. You see me running around in my socks or my bare feet. You, you see the real me versus the staged me, the managed me. I'm going to be far more myself in my own house, even if on accident. I may scold my kids a little bit more harshly than I would in the gathering space. I might be a little more rude with my wife than I would when I'm focused, when I'm, when I'm paying attention to the image. The guard goes down, and the real me comes out. Keeping people out there, it's safe, right? Welcoming the stranger in. That's risky. I wonder just how much of our growth gets stunted because we only expose the parts of our lives that we want people to see. We keep our image well managed. You get to see the part I want to show you. The revival of Roseanne has been interesting, hasn't it? My memory of that show was that that house looked a lot like the house I lived in growing up and a lot of my friends' houses. There were stacks of junk on the steps, piles of clothes here and there. It was a mess on display for everyone to see. 
How much of your mess do you let people see? How much of real you do you let people see? I think we do not let the stranger in because we do not want the stranger to see the real us. And no, I'm not suggesting that we start a, you know, a mandatory program of church dinners at each other's houses. That's not what this is about. I guess I just want you to think through it a little bit. Why is my home a place that I do not let people in? And let's face it, we can take that figuratively as well. Do we let Christ into all the rooms of our lives? Or are there are certain rooms that we say this is a Jesus-free zone. Now, I, I, I'll, I'm good with Jesus at home, but Jesus at work, no. That, that's not a Jesus place. They let him in. They let him in all the way. And because they did, they were never the same. So let's circle around to this one more time. Today is really all about openness. Living life with an open stance. Am I open to letting the stranger in? Am I open to mystery? To living in it with someone? To living in my own? And I open to questions, both, both asking them, not being quick to respond with the answer, but asking the question or receiving the question. Am I, am I open to sitting in the stew, letting the unresolved simmer? Am I open to letting others in just one more layer beyond my comfort zone? That place that they might actually see the real me. Father God in heaven, I pray that you will help us to think about our stance. Not just physically when we're standing in a gathering space, but, but literally all the time. How are we standing? Are we standing in a way that is closed, a way that does not let the stranger in, a way that does not let you in? Or do we stand with such an openness that you could just, you could just enter the conversation at any moment? It's a comfort there with mystery, a comfort there with questions. God, I pray that as we, as we continue to track with this pair of disciples walking down the road to Emmaus, that we would quite, quite practically learn more and more what it means not just to live in community with each other, but to live in community with you as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. Enjoy your day. We'll see you. It breaks my heart to see you suffer.